0: With yourself, um, <clears throat> it's it's not the last step that you take. You know, the next step is not the last one. You might be successful, you might fail, but everything that you do is a learning curve. You know, failing is good, although it's painful. You know, but you learn of it.
1: Hey, folks, Garrett here. In this last episode of season four of the Most Awesome Founder Podcast we introduce Christoph Kreuss, mission-driven corporate entrepreneur and founder and co-head of the Siemens Innovation Ecosystem. Christoph's mission is both an ambitious and a challenging one, driving innovation projects at one of the world's largest companies. We'll be talking open innovation, leveraging the unfair advantages of scale, driving rapid change in naturally slow-moving organizations, and building innovation teams that can drive change from the inside out. So if you, like me, are fascinated by the topic of corporate entrepreneurship and innovation management, you should really appreciate this episode. Hope you enjoy it as much as Drees and I did recording it.
0: This episode is brought to you by WHU,
1: the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Coming to you from WHU, on the banks of the Rhine River, in beautiful fallendar Germany. This is the best and most awesome founder podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors and educators and the stories that make them who they are today. Christoph Kreis, thank you so much for joining us on our humble podcast today. We're really looking forward to hearing your story and uh, having a conversation.
0: Thank you very much for the invitation. It's a uh, real Big honor for me.
1: Um, once again, as I've had more recently, I've got my colleague Professor Dries Foms who's joining us, and he was so kind as to to organize this conversation. And I'm sure he's got some really interesting topics that he wants to to cover with you as well. But um, you know, we all we start all of the podcasts kind of with the same question in mind. You know, as big advocates of storytelling, um, it's always nice to get a little insight into the person who's on the other side of the microphone. So, Christoph, maybe you could start telling us a little bit about your career trajectory, your journey, where you come from, and how you ended up where you are today.
0: Well, I've come a long way, to be honest, Um, yeah, with many different positions and stations and uh, going into wrong directions Uh, in German, we would say I was on the Holzweg, you know, if you translate it literally would be Woodway, but this wouldn't make sense at all. (laughs) Um, So where where shall I start? Um, Well, now I'm kind of in heaven since I'm allowed to, to drive innovation, which is uh, really touching my heart and, and uh, giving people the opportunity to to grow and uh, do uh, innovation um, faster and more efficient uh, in, in a room that I can hopefully provide more and more for them. So how, how did I get there? And um, this was quite a journey on the way. So I... Was in middle school, I would say, and you know, I didn't know what to do. So I started out in a corporation next to my house, which was not far to drive. So I was an apprentice in electronics and doing maintenance for uh, production machines. And um, so the the task was to 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 repair these machines to 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 be most efficient in production there. And I saw my colleagues uh, doing night shifts, and and, who I said, well, is that all? You know, having walked through the, the apprenticeship with 21, and that's it. Shall I do this for the rest of my life? Hmm. No. So I started out and, and did my my high school or my Abitur uh, um, on on the uh, you know, second way in german uh, second path and so i did my my uh, abitur and uh, then i started electronics which was interesting and i got some insights in a, in a big bigger corporation uh, doing lights uh, Osram, you might know that company and I was in product management. It was very interesting, you know, the slides and how do people, you know, create new products and how do they market it? It was really interesting. So this seemed to be a little bit entrepreneurial, you know, and that was so different from being, you know, in, in maintenance in, in a production site where you have where your boss tells you how to take your uh, um, uh, screwdriver in, in to your left or right hand, you have to use the red instead of the green screwdriver. This was so different, and I loved it. And I said, Well, there must be more. So, during the studies, when I was there working there uh, as a, a working student or intern, um, um. So this seemed to be very, very interesting. And and after my studies, I started out in a a mobile phone company, Siemens Mobile. And um, this was great, you know, new technology, innovative things, you know. And I saw, wow, uh, creating new products in sexy businesses, you know, mobile phones were the hot ass dot, 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 yeah, the hot shit uh, uh, of that time, you know, and it was so much fun in a young team creating, you know, Uh, and uh, this, uh, this was so great, and but still you know i was in r&d and, and in product management and it was so small you know you, you could uh, influence maybe the button and, and the uh, human machine interface a little bit you know how does the mobile phone react if you click on or uh, plug in a, a headset or if you connect it to a bluetooth device etc <sighs> this was still too small you know uh, was that it? Of course not. <laughs> entrepreneurial thoughts, you know, and, and um, I became a, pro, a project manager in, in international uh, projects there and still wasn't, you know, big enough, you know, um, working on entrepreneurial decision making, you know, not just a button X, Y, or Z. So I changed completely the businesses. Uh, I was working in, and I went to chemical industry, uh, becoming a product manager on my own, um, being an electrical engineer in the chemical industry for printing inks. So that was like a cultural clash, to be honest. You know, n- knowing nothing about all these things in chemistry and still being interested in influencing products and life cycles and and marketing and and everything. Uh, And so I learned sometimes the hard way um, to influence products, to to get together with customers and convince them to buy my inks. Of course, my team's inks, it was not just me, you know, it was just helping the others to do their jobs, uh, to be honest, but, we were a team you know uh, going into that and what can i say you know um learning the hard way influencing uh, doing marketing as an electrical engineer so i always came to my limits and this was sometimes hard because i did not speak their language and i had to learn it you know either you Grow or you break.
2: But, but Christoph, sorry to interrupt you, but I really now have a question for you because when I hear this story, why didn't you never create your own company? That seems to be the logical answer to the struggle, not that at but absurd- on what
0: I, I did not have an idea on, on what, and I was an electrical engineer, you know? Okay. So uh, ugh, I, I, I just thought, well, I want to learn more. I want to see more from the world. You know, my my spot where I was was too small and I didn't dare to start something new. So in first place, I just wanted to grow, uh, get into that growth journey, not thinking about my own startup, to be honest. Okay. And so struggling with all this MBA stuff, you know, being responsible for figures and uh, money and all these things, I thought, well, how can I learn that? You know, and then I found uh, this this MBA program on innovation and business creation at TU Munich. Sorry, <laughs> at trees, uh, uh, but I think th- these two are quite friendly, uh, as far as I've seen. And um, I met people that were not just in corporations and complaining about over hours and ah, how much. Uh, 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 um, days of vacation do you have left and how can I get off uh, my, my uh, office very uh, quickly? Um, they saw the world as an opportunity, not as an obstacle. Um, I've, uh, i met founders, you know, of startups. I met uh, corporate uh, innovators that, you know, said wow i have an opportunity to grow something to to create a startup etc etc what is open innovation what are are all these things you know the concept of henry Chesbrough, which you had uh, in the other podcast you know that was a completely new world and i loved it i still got goosebumps (laughs) so this this was really really a new world for me you know seeing the world as, as a chance, you know, to, to found something, to, to see problems as an opportunity to, to build something.
1: So, so Christoph, you, you started at Siemens, then you moved into a chemical industry where you are now working on innovation and working on products, but in a domain that you didn't, you weren't particularly familiar with. Where did you go from after the, the chemical journey and? Bring us to the current day.
0: So I finished my my MBA with with this huge, great energy uh, of learning in that MBA program. And this was for the first time, to be honest, uh, something I hated school. I hated university. But with this MBA, I loved the whole thing. So and then I understood that I want to change. So I changed within this company uh, to a strategic position, um, to make this company grow into the future, because the digital threat was there, you know, printing business, you know, printing like uh, newspapers, et cetera, et cetera, uh, uh, digitalization that does not really go together very easily. And therefore um, they already saw that there's something coming up and they wanted to change. So, I went to this department <clears throat> of corporate planning and to see what can we do with the chemical history and growing into the future. And um, so we did a lot, and, um, but the first bad hit to this company arrived. So there was not much money and no much investment and no much time to, to invest in something new. So they went to, into um, survival mode and I said, OK, you guys um, save your lives and I have to move on because innovation is what my heart uh, is uh, um, ticking to. So I moved on and went back to Siemens um, to do some innovation consultancy. So still learning. So I knew that this is, you know, uh, close to my heart and I still was not ready enough to go into a an own business <laughs> uh, but i knew that this is a world i loved so i went to uh, um inter- in-house consulting and saw different industries like healthcare industry energy uh, iot whatever is there you know and I learned a lot still growing and understanding how can we leverage Uh, all these methods and tools of business modeling, value proposition design, job to be done, all these things. So ah, these methods and tools were the right things to to use to help my clients to grow their business and to survive. And then I uh, understood that this is too small for me because now helping others and and going from project to project, and when it gets really interesting, I have to move because they ran out of money. And although I would love to help them, you know, in creating new businesses, I had to go away. So I changed into a different department, uh, enabling um, me to create something new, or to grow like a method or a tool, which started out with open innovation, anchoring this method and tool, or re-anchoring. We had an early start on open innovation there, but then the I would say the, the big weather conditions changed away from open innovation, and then I saw the opportunity in that department to grow that again. So we started out with little teams and, and, and to spread the news and with projects, and we were very successful with Uh, scouting open innovation methods and tools, applying them already in the MVP status or in the proof of concept status to our businesses and created quite some impact. And um, customers were happy and growing this community and sharing that uh, to our colleagues within Siemens uh, was very successful. And what I saw then was, hmm, most of the departments in these more than 380,000 employees huge company struggle always at the same position they don't know which methods are around which tools are around uh, where are experts around etc cetera, etc cetera. so we have a saying there and this is i think valid for all these companies out there if siemens knew what siemens knows and this applies for ge for all these all other companies um, that you can imagine. And uh, this was especially true for all these innovators there.
2: But Christoph, do you, do you have an, an explanation for that? Because indeed, I also see that with a lot of companies that they actually don't know what they have. What, what is the explanation for that?
0: Well, I think uh, a, a person or a team can only digest a certain amount of information, right? And um, although all the information is around, you need to find it, you know, you need to have, be aware, where do I have to go to find the information that I need right now, right at my desk, in the situation where I am in my innovation project. So today I need maybe an expert in blockchain. And tomorrow, I need someone to help me and finding how do I define a persona? Yeah.
1: So I'm, I'm curious uh, about this topic. You know, you, you have, there's all of these resources that are at your disposal in a large organization. Maybe the processes aren't there to find them or the systems aren't in place, but you know, most of these people in a bigger company have specific roles to fill. Right. So how easy is it to to take these resources off other other projects, other priorities and be able to leverage leverage it to actually be a resource for innovation rather than an, a resource for the core function that it would those they would already be allocated to.
0: Well, um, somehow we are organized also as service centers. So, well, um, in general, innovation is about people, right? People make innovation happen. So on one hand, there are people who have needs um, and some are there who have something that they could provide and how do we match them? How do we get, bring them together? So we have people who are service businesses. We have a corporate technology uh, department and um, they have all these uh, beautiful technologies, you know, that that they are looking into and doing science on that and and preparing everything to be applied in the businesses. So they want to sell their uh, findings to the businesses. But do the businesses know where to look, where to find those people, and this was missing—like a, a, a easy access, as we found, platform maybe, yeah—to find specifically everything for innovators.
1: You say you say platform. Maybe you could talk a little bit bit more about that, it, because is that a is that a process? Is that a, a culture change? Is that some kind of enabling technology? What helps to unlock those resources to, to be able to mobilize them for someone like you or your teams that are driving, driving change?
0: We say sharing is caring. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, all the innovators came into the same situation that they were looking for something but couldn't find it. So uh, we were, you know, thinking what if we brought people together and provide a fertile space for them, a marketplace where they can share their services and their, their uh, abilities and competences and others could find uh, uh, um, their uh, opportunities uh, or you know apply these methods and tools from what is around. And um, so we started out finding asking people, well, would you be open to share what you do? And others, what would you be looking for? And so we started out like with 10, 20 people, which were in our Outlook, uh, um, you know, email uh, um, stores and, you know, in, in our dress uh, uh, places. And then um, we, we invited some to share their information. And so we started out this platform to grow. And we we attracted more and more people, and they came and joined in. And yeah, we then said, well, let's create a software together with a, a supplier to do this marketplace in a digital version, so everyone can find each other, not just internally but also externally. Since I come from an open innovation position, you know, and with an open heart, um, because. Um, there is intelligence outside our corporation. Uh, as I always say, um, <laughs> in, in a, trying to be funny, you know, don't, don't get it too serious, uh, but you know, big corporations, uh, and I've seen different ones, uh, always tend to, to solve their problems for themselves. Mm. And um, reinventing the wheel is easy because you might have the workforce to do that, but it's not efficient because the the world is VUCA, you know that, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. And we have to be fast. And this huge ocean tanker of huge organization, moving that fast is not always easy, but you can team up with other corporations, with startups, with universities, with your customers, and with individuals that have the knowledge uh, which you can onboard to co-create together to get the things done. And this mindset was, is valid for internal since we have a huge organization of more than 300,000 people. And of course, this is even more true for the billions of people out there you can connect with and, and get your innovation done. So that was the reason why we built this innovation ecosystem that, well, how we call that.
2: And Christoph, you were mentioning the word mindsets, but, but what kind of mindsets do you actually need to build a kind of corporate that is open to the outside world? Because I actually think that's not, not that straightforward to have that kind of mindset.
0: Hmm. Well, of course, um, it's about, well, um, it's, a, it's a growth mindset, I would say, you know, always trying to find the best way to solve the issues and the obstacles and the problems or challenges that you have in front of you at your desk, wherever you are in your innovation journey, for example. And who could solve that in the best possible way? It's a make or buy decision or make or co-create a situation. And I always say, my job is done when every person in our corporation is able to freely decide do it, uh, will I do it by myself in the best possible way? Or will I select from a huge toolbox, the best possible way to get that thing done? So, and that could be a university, could someone be in Brazil, in South Africa, in USA, in Portugal, I don't know, you know? Um, Or um, maybe the neighbor next door who I don't know of, until I have my ecosystem ready, where I can search for the people I need to get the things done.
1: I'm interested in in the ecosystem that, that you've built, because you brought up an example in your previous part of your career, where you were working for a company, it was the chemical company, it was challenging, you were doing innovation, and then there were external variables that deprioritize perhaps what you were working on. I do a lot of work with startup accelerators. Some are partnered with corporates and they have a lot of momentum for a little while. And then maybe there's a leadership change or a a refocus of priorities of the mothership and innovation projects can get defunded or deprioritized. How do you maintain a program like this within a company of so many people and maintain it through... Uh, changes in climate and leadership over over the long term.
0: Uh, that that's a good thing because in uh, one of my roles, I'm also responsible for the uh, entrepreneurs program at Siemens. Uh, we call it entrepreneurs boot camp, and this is exactly what we do. So uh, we try to connect entrepreneurs with their purpose, make them strong and resilient to o- overcome this death rally, um, to withstand maybe the immune system of an existing organization, uh, or maybe, uh, yeah, priority shifts, what you just mentioned, or other obstacles to get their startup within the organization uh, done, or make them successful. Because nobody's waiting for them, you know, and uh, yeah, there's an immune system that doesn't want to change. Um, so they need to be strong and they need to um, be able to play on the piano, maybe, of this, what I call unfair advantages, to leverage the resources and the connections that this huge organization has to get through the doors and holes uh, to finally arrive to the market at the market to. Be successful in their internal startup journey. This is exactly what we apply also for our uh, innovation ecosystem. I would regard myself as an entrepreneur, uh, having or building this um, this innovation ecosystem.
1: It sounds like that there's uh, certain characteristics that people require in that context, a, a level of resilience and and maybe patience and drive. You know, I, I've talked spoken to a number of innovators that say they always respect the corporate entrepreneurs almost more than the startup entrepreneurs, because even though they have all these resources at their disposal, sometimes the process isn't as free or as easy and there can be obstacles in the way, you know, from your perspective. I I know a lot of really innovative minds that work for big companies that maybe don't have the innovation infrastructure that Siemens has, but they want to drive this type of change and this type of innovation. What advice do you have for someone in a company that's maybe not like Siemens that wants to do something that you've been able to accomplish in in your company?
0: Well, um, there's a saying. um, I think it was from the U.S. Marines, or, or maybe also f- from from the uh, from the Indians. I'm not sure, uh, but it says if you want to go fast, go alone, and if you want to go far, walk with a team. Go together. So that was also my failure in the past. I tried to do it on my own, and I failed. You know, and um, it was sometimes very painful to fail on the way. At this point, you know, especially with the innovation ecosystem, we built a team believing in what we wanted to do or what we are doing now. And um, so it, it met our purpose to bring together the people to provide this fertile space to, to make innovation happen. And then we gathered some more people, we gathered, um, departments or business units all around the corporation to invest in this innovation ecosystem, not much, but it was kind of a, yeah, small but significant investment for everyone. And so if they invest in something, they have to um, say why they are spending the money on this. They have to, um, yeah, judge their investment. So they are all looking into what, creating some value for that and get, getting some value out of it. And by bringing together the, the business owners, my team, you know, which I'm not responsible for in, 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 you know, in, in, in the main uh, uh, or in, yeah, I'm, I'm not a department head. Um, so we are a self-organized team And we believe in that story. And yeah, so we go together and everyone has different abilities and competences. And whenever one person cannot solve it, another person is there to take over. So uh, diversity is key and a team that is really believing it and working day and night to get that thing done. So that is a huge difference.
2: But, but I'm still looking a bit for the, the magical ingredient that you have. Because what you're telling is okay, you start with a small group of enthusiastic people. Uh, I have a great team that is uh, that has a clear purpose, is enthusiastic. And then in the end everybody participates and everybody is happy. That that in that way it sounds very easy, whereas I see that a lot of companies are struggling with this a lot. So I'm still looking a bit like, where is the magical agree ingredient that explains why, why this Siemens ecosystem is such a success?
0: Um, well, we, we have asked ourselves the questions exactly in the Entrepreneur's Bootcamp. What is the difference when innovations get you know, to the road, you know, when, they, um, when they're successful and when not? And you can bring it back to the team Okay. Uh, and this is something that, that venture capitalists are also uh, saying there are three ingredients for a successful startup team, team and team, you know, they are investing and everyone is investing in the team because the idea is pivoting anyways mm-hmm. on the way. So you will never come out of this startup journey like you go in with the idea because you're learning, you're testing your critical assumptions and uh, you're failing fast, et cetera, et cetera. But as a team, when you are resilient and strong and you have the same values that you share and you, you really believe in that, then, of course you you are frustrated and you're you're shouting at each other or whatever it happens, you know, but yeah. you always get back to why did we start this? What is our purpose, what is our inner energy, and how which superpowers do we have to get that done? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I'm in totally, total agreement. You know, team, team, and team should be your first criteria for anything, and it's usually the first failure point in a in an organization, particularly in a startup. One of the one of the other failure points is running out of time, right? And the the combination of time and and money and resources. One of the things that you mentioned is that you know Siemens made an investment in into your initiative. Um, Venture capitalists look at investments on 10-year time horizons. Corporates often look at investments on quarterly or annual time horizons, which can very much run into conflicts with the higher tier, the more disruptive innovations. You must have some kind of longer-term commitment from the mothership in order to do what you do, or are you subject to the same uh, shorter time horizons Um, that other business units might be
0: Uh, to be honest we are alive officially since one year so we are very young and very fresh and uh, the immune system has maybe not you know taken
2: a a, a deep look at us Uh... (laughs) you have not been noticed by the immune system
0: (laughs) (laughs) well you know it's 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 a balance of course um of course their expectations are growing you know and um Um, uh, Yeah, we we have taken a look also in the the bootcamp preparation uh, uh, about this uh, topic and what we have seen is that um, there's a huge difference how corporates look at their own startups and how they are looking on external startups. Um, And I'm not just not talking about Siemens, but in particular, but in, in, in general, I would say. So what is the difference? So if you're taking a look at a, a external startup or independent startup, um, they uh, are investing all their time, all their energy, you know, uh, like 60, 80, 100, 120 hours, you know, 24 seven into their startup. There's nothing but the startup. And of course, they have to, to look into investors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if they're investors, they make sure that their investment is really well served. They are trying to create a, a safe room so the startup can really concentrate on what they're doing, right? They're trying to bring in the networks and everything so the startup can grow from a little plant to a, a nice tr- little tree. Yeah. So, what is the difference to a, a corporation? So, if you're working in a standard department, then you have a great idea and you maybe find people um, that are doing great things or want to do that with you. And then you start up, uh, start this. And what is the uh, corporation expecting? They're not giving you the time to work on that. Maybe if you're lucky, 20%. Right? We're no, not talking about 100% yeah. or you have to work on it you know, in overtime. You, know? you, you have to do your standard job and do the startup in extra time. No money, no time. Well, the team is like, everyone is like uh, investing private time on that. And the expectations on the delivery are the same like on external startups. Wow, how can you compare that without any safe room, without any support, without any something? Same expectations. And everyone is saying, wow, all these great startups out there. But if you would nurture the internal startups in the same way like we do the external ones, wow. If we could train them, you know, make them strong, resilient, if you provide them with all these methods and tools that are around you, like design thinking, lean startup, you name it, you know all of them. And this is a very important thing, train them on how to leverage this unfair advantage of a huge corporation, access to data, access to markets, access to customers, access to uh, technologies, production capacities, all these things. If they could leverage that in a huge amount or in a huge scale, then I think they would be invincible yeah. or invincible, sorry.
1: <laughs> so. Uh... I mean, there's so many resources at your disposal. You know, Drees and I have had some interesting conversations, like you said, with Henry Chesbrough, with with Steve Blank, with different folks. Um, I want to bring Steve Blank into the equation really quickly because we got a really nice kind of contrast with him and henry and you know steve's hypothesis one of his hypotheses is this uh he talks quite a bit about you know how challenging it is for big companies to really engage in disruptive innovation you know uh large the larger the company the better they are at incremental innovation you know the iphone 6 to iphone 7 or or new versions and and smaller things um, he talks about innovation theater you know, big companies doing these innovation things, but since they're not really integrated into the core function of that, of that company that oftentimes it's subjected to the whims and whimsies and, and don't really affect the bottom line. What is your perspective on this concept of innovation theater and? How can you overcome that? Because I can tell you, Steve Blank said he doesn't have a solution yet. And I think he's been thinking about it for a while. So we're always really interested to hear, you know, how you make sure it's not uh, really sexy on the outside, but is actually having those tangible impacts. Yes,
2: Steve was was not sharing your enthusiasm about the unfair advantage of big companies, I have to say.
0: (laughs) Uh, I have a gut feeling, okay? We did talk about... Teams, teams, and teams. Mm -hmm. Henry Trespero did talk about the Procter and Gamble case where open innovation was so successful before, Mm -hmm. and then with a change of management, they weren't successful with open innovation, you know, for different reasons. So, um, and I think it's related also to the team. If you have the right team in a corporation, that enables startup at startups or uh, innovation growth in a bigger corporation that really, you know, breathe this innovation feeling, you know, everything, this growth mindset, This this empowerment and everything, then they could enable teams to really do some great innovation. If not, if you have, sorry, managers, that you, well, corporations always think, well, you got the methods, you got the tools, you got highly paid managers and everything gets done, you know? No, you need people who really love what they do, who really love to enable people, for example, to get that on the road. So if people don't feel it, then you get innovation theater. If people get a Psychological safe space in bigger corporations where they can really grow and create something new. And of course, uh, the real world will hit, uh, you know, hard enough. But as for a certain time, they need to be protected, like a like a seed growing. You know, in the first little centimeters, it needs to be some nurturing. You know, and when this is done, and if like a real startup environment is there with people who really breathe everything and provide the space, then there's enough room to grow. And this was the example of of, uh, Henry Jesper, I think. When the management changed, everything went down. So same applies for me to bigger corporations. If you have people there who really can provide the space, who really believe in that, and um if the company is investing in those people and providing them, you know, to, to to create and believing in them to provide the space, then you can do it.
1: I want to take it just to um put myself in the shoes of some of our audience a little bit. Um young innovative minds that are thinking hey you know maybe like you I, I don't really know if I have a startup idea or something I want to pursue right now but I really want to drive change and innovation they're starting their career they're looking for companies that they can work for you know you talk a lot about you know having the right people around you but if you're on the outside shopping for a career move maybe you don't get that level of depth of getting to know the potential team you'll be working with what are some of the, uh, the signals and signs to look for in selecting a company that you want to work for that you think you can, you know, be able to innovate in? What, what are those telltale signs from the organizational level to look for?
0: Hmm. Um, first of all, I would work for a company where I think I can connect personally with the products or with the services and what they do. So if you connect to that, you know if you can identify with it you know uh, i i love my company because we can influence all this infrastructure to get more sustainable to change everything you know to make the people travel safe commute safe on one hand you know produce in a more sustainable way for example etc cetera, etc cetera. so i can you know help to have a more sustainable world and um, Siemens is like a company where I can do that, where I can, uh, where I can work on that. And, and there are many opportunities to work internationally. This is something w- which I like. So, and no matter which company it is, I believe that everyone can influence her or his environment into a certain extent. So no matter how narrow your department might feel, there's always an opportunity to grow in there, you know, and each job is just a part of a journey, you know, you might start out as an uh, R&D person, and then go to project management, and then go to product management, and then go to innovation management, like I did. So everyone can continue her or his journey on the way. So don't stop to grow i would say have this growth mindset feel empowered to change your environment and ask questions and uh, grow and um so no matter where where people are working that is an opportunity and if you cannot uh, maybe you should change
1: well uh, you know you've I really appreciate your you have a very human centric approach right is like if you if you're the right kind of person you have the right passion you have the right resilience maybe you have the right group of people around you uh really great things can happen and so I, I very much very much appreciate that approach um someone that has that kind of mindset I think is generally a pretty uh, introspective and and thoughtful and reflective person so What I want to ask you is you've had these different career trajectories. You've had kind of a a passion for thinking big and for making change. You know, what have you learned over the course of your career that, you know, you wish you had known decades ago that you now know now? What is what are those nuggets of wisdom that you'd like to share for uh, the young minds that are hoping to do things similar to you?
0: Well, be patient with yourself. Um, <clears throat> it's it's not the last step that you take, you know. The next step is not the last one. You might be successful, you might fail, but everything that you do is a learning curve. You know, failing is good, although painful, you know, but you learn of it uh, out of it. So even if you're successful, some you don't know why you are su- successful. It could be you know, by chance. Or it could be because you have prepared so thoroughly. But if you do a mistake, you know why the mistake happened afterwards, you know? And you can change next time. And next time, you're a little bit less wrong than the step before. And it's a, you know, you're growing, it's a journey. Don't give up. Always get up once more, then you fall down. And um, um, yeah, try to find people that have also a growth mindset, because um, if you feel alone, that's really hard. But if you have other people that you can exchange with that also have like a growth mindset or went through like some some dark times, maybe, you know, then you can exchange and could ask questions and say, you know, what did you do? Or what would you do in, in, in this situation? What, what have you done? And then you pick up things and you try it once again. And next time you succeed. And uh, if not, then you try it once again. So um, don't give up.
2: (laughs) And actually, I'm also interested in in how does that affect your parenting? Because you were explaining how you started not the most high-end roads uh, from middle school, having a quite difficult trajectory going up and up. So I'm I'm really wondering, as a parent, how does that shape you in giving advice to your own children?
0: Well, there's not the journey. There's not the career. Um, Every person has to go uh, through her or his own journey, I would say. And the time is ripe for everything, for the next step. And if you follow your heart, what is good, you know, uh, then, then, you know, it's a good step because, you know, you're growing on the way. And um, yeah, so I have two kids as well, you know, and they're going their ways, my big one is getting 18 next week, and the small one is 13 getting 14. And there you're really working on on their own careers, you know, and uh, once they have understood, well, hmm, I feel strange here, you know, I want to change something, I try to support them on their way. Mm-hmm. Just be there and support uh, your your beloved ones, your, your, your most precious ones, your colleagues, uh, um, to go for the next step, you know, and be there. And then that, yeah, they grow.
1: You know, I, the one of the conversations I have with my son the most is, you know take your own path, but if you have that growth mindset, the path will will unfold. And if there's anything that you can kind of instill in the younger generation is that it's a, it's a long journey and you know there's, there's learning along the way. I want to touch on one more thing that you said in the last in, in one of your last statements that really sparked some thoughts in my head. And it was the idea of failure right? And I think it's a topic that is um, maybe more celebrated in other contexts than others. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but in my hometown of Boulder, Colorado, once a year, they take all the failed entrepreneurs and they parade them down the street and celebrate their failure. Um, I would say in some other cultures, including Germany, maybe failure is not as widely celebrated. The other thing I would say is in startups, a f- failure is almost a badge of honor. It means you've learned things, and you're not going to make the same mistake. In a corporate setting where there's maybe different risk-reward uh, relationships exist, how would you say people deal with failure if they work on a project and it crashes and burns? Does it is it rewarded with the same badge of honor that a startup entrepreneur would be? And are there more repercussions than in other contexts?
0: Well, as you said, it's not so easy. You know, it's really difficult to pronounce that. Uh, we we just recently uh, uh, started a ideation campaign or a collaboration campaign in saying, okay, let come on, people, let's share our failures. You know, and um, so we struggled that people don't want to write that. You know, uh, in an official way, and it's you know what is written that the nets, uh, the net is never forgetting once you have written something and it's always there forever <sighs> what does that mean you know <laughs> so uh, people are very careful about that and and you know uh, we're getting into it we say we want to fail forward you know and we want to enable our innovators to take calculated risks um, to test critical assumptions, uh, not in the way, because we, we are providing infrastructure in our way. We cannot afford that a, a, a high-speed train is crashing on the way, because we are responsible for lives. We don't want to take risks on there. That not, we cannot take risk on that. There's not at all, zero, 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 you know? But on the way, when we are simulating things, when we are testing and like mechanics or something, here we can fail without endangering people's lives or endangering our products or our reputation in a way that it's a protected space. And you know, this is what I call you know, failing is great because it's early enough that we don't fail in a product when we sell it to our customer. So getting uh, cautious and, and active in failing and trying to find the mistakes on the way on your innovation journey is something, you know, I- I'm not fearing because it's part of the journey.
2: And, and you now have talked several times about the, the crucial importance of having a safe zone in, in the company. Right? So... Can you can you give us a concrete example of of how you try to do that? What do I have to understand with a safe zone? Is it really that you have a separate place where people can do experiments, or is it more, I would I say, in a more psychological way that that there is a safe zone? What what do I need to understand with that?
0: So in in our entrepreneurs bootcamp, for example, um, we uh, encourage our startups, you know, our entrepreneurs to take these uh, uh, experiments, you know, to go to the customers and saying, well, uh, I believe that you are always pressing this red button in in your daily work. And um, so, um, can I have a look on what you do? So people going into the workplace and looking on what the people are doing. And they're seeing there is no button at all. (laughs) no red no green no yellow button they have maybe i don't know maybe a signal uh, or they shout at alexa or whatever you know saying now you know and they're learning on the way so um it's always you know difficult to approach the customer because always also in corporations customers are holy you know never touch a customer was Uh, the expectation in the past now we are saying okay you can approach the customer but you have to manage expectations you know you have to step over that red line interview them listen to them manage expectations and you will hear that the customers have to say something that they are happy to share their experience with you you don't have to say much but they will share a lot of it Oh, you take your salesperson with you, your sales representative. So they are not fearing that you are spoiling the customer. And then both of you are growing because you can listen to the situation and then you're learning, take back your learnings and work with it. And you can pivot your business model, you can pivot your solution, your service or whatever with the learnings. And do that, not just one, two, Times to 20, 30, 50 times throughout your whole innovation journey, mm-hmm. and once they have experienced stepping over their red line, it's getting more and more comfortable and not awkward, you know. So always, you know, training, 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 and uh, giving them allowance to do that in a protected space, and then when they are through the boot camp, they have learned that they will not be punished for it asking the customer or going out and asking someone who can help them to grow and pivot for their next innovation project.
1: There's a a little bit of Steve Blank in there with with some Chesborough too. uh, (laughs) Uh,
0: Learning from the best. Learning from the best indeed.
1: (laughs) Well, well, Christoph, we only have a couple minutes left, but um, I like to ask all of our guests just a couple uh, silly questions to get a little bit of insight into the into the person. I love uh, silly questions. Yeah. Well, I got a couple for you. So um, can learn a lot about what people by a person, uh, by what they read. Um, do you have a book that you're reading or a book that you could recommend to the audience?
0: Um, at my bedside table, I have two books currently. And one is The Subtile Art of Not Giving an F, <laughs> uh, Good is, one. Is a F, which is a tremendous book. And uh, considering that uh, this person has, is, it's his first book, you know, wow, amazing book. You know, I, I could just recommend it to everyone who is in a, in a growth mindset, you know, because you can apply it to your, to your life, to your everyday situation. I like it very much. Another book I read is from uh, Reinhold Messner. He's one mm-hmm. of the biggest mountaineers. Uh, the German uh, name is Überleben. Mm-hmm. It's about life or survival. In German, you can uh, uh, connect these two words, Überleben in survival or about life. And um, so it has different meeting, uh, meanings. And it's about leadership on one hand. It's about getting over your own red lines and, and learning from that. And um, uh, this is really a tremendous book from a person who has gone through all these depths and highs, you know, you can ever imagine.
1: Yeah, I, I got a chance to meet him and hear him speak. What a larger than life personality Messner is. Huh? Amazing.
0: He's really amazing. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. One what, what other question for you to, to wrap things up. Um Going beyond books, what what cycles on your your playlist these days? What do you what do you like listening to?
0: Well, uh, music-wise, I love funk and soul music, and Tower of Power is one of my favorite ones. uh, Playing, you know, and uh, they are quite an old band, but it's still, you know, wow music. And in my spare time, I'll also play trumpet. So I'm kind of horn driven. Uh, so I love horn driven music. And uh, a podcast next to yours, which I've learned, uh, uh, is of course great. Uh, I like a little bit of optimism. Um, it's also about great personalities and people that have walked through their growth, their personal journeys. And this is something I like also. <laughs>
1: Well, Christoph, optimism, shake your booty, horns, music. Uh, you are you are the consummate optimist and and positive human being. Um, wonderful to to chat with you, and uh, wonderful conversation. It was uh, really great to have you and and learn about the experience and kind of get your perspective on on how big companies innovate. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. It was a a big pleasure and a great honor for me to be part of this great podcast.
1: Well, folks, that was Christoph Kreis, corporate entrepreneur and founder of the Siemens Innovation Ecosystem. Coming up in January of 2022, we'll be kicking off season five of our Humble podcast with some really big changes. First, we'll be working with our new producer, Rushab Genwala. Welcome, Rushab. That means we're also saying goodbye and a very special thank you to last year's producer, Paul Apple. Paul has now joined the ranks of our esteemed guests and has become a startup founder himself. So keep a lookout for Paul and his new climate commerce venture, eco to grow in your favorite stores soon. Aside from changes to our team, we have an impressive roster of entrepreneurs and innovators on deck for season five. So if you're keen to hear the rich stories of some of VEHAU's most successful founders and business leaders,
0: you're really in for a treat. Bis nächste Mal!